It's simple, really. Great stories with a good cup of tea. It's the Tea with Mike show. Please welcome to today's episode of the Tea with Mike show, Lindsay Recknell. Lindsay is a workplace mental health consultant, a public speaker, and also a podcaster. Lindsay's mission is to get people talking through teaching things like self-awareness, brain science, with the overall goal of helping as many people as possible through motivating positive change. Outside of work, Lindsay supports the Calgary Flames and the Stampeders and spends time reading, gardening, and at the gym. So Lindsay, welcome to the Tea with Mike show. How are you? Hey, thanks. It's so great to be here. I'm doing awesome. I'm finally glad that we managed to do this and excited to learn a little bit about you and your story and we'll see where it goes. That's the best part about the podcast. We will just see what happens. Before we get into it, can you tell us a little bit about the life's mission that I referenced in the introduction and how you came up with this mission statement or way of living your life? Yeah, you bet. So I am super passionate about the science of hope. And the idea that hope has a PR problem and I aim to solve it. So when you think of that language, so often people, you know, they know, they intuitively recognize and know what that feeling is, right? That bubbly sort of anticipatory feeling in our tummy. And when I learned that there was actual science and evidence to support its power, I thought, holy smokes, everybody needs to know how we can use this to support our lives. And I just started talking about it because I was so passionate about it. I learned that it was a field of science within positive psychology and there was, you know, people working, actively working to learn more about this. And um, I just became known as the expert in hope. Fantastic. And we'll get into it in a little bit, but I'm curious, are there certain activities or ways of doing things that increase that, I guess, that feeling of hope and almost, I guess, ecstasy or adrenaline? Yeah. So... If you ask people what their definition of hope is, I feel like everybody will give us a different answer, right? It's very, it's a very personal thing to most of us. But the thing that I've learned and I've sort of come around to as a result of this work is that my definition is that the future will be better than today when we take action over the things we can control. And the key words there are future, action, and control. And it's really important to me that I feel like I have a sense of agency over my life and the things that are getting me closer to the to that future, that that positive future, the place I want to be. And I also believe that hope lives within all of us, that it's never gone. It's never, you know, that we don't have hope. It just could be that it's very deep and it's hard to find, but it's always there and it can be taught. And so that's kind of why I like to talk about these things is just that recognition that we can find it again. If you're feeling super hopeless, if you're feeling like you're in the depths of despair, you can get it back because it's, it's not actually gone. It might just be missing a little. Understood. And so whose responsibility is it to keep this feeling of hope alive? Is it educators? Is it parents, friends, taking care of yourself? Like, what does the responsibility lie? Can I answer yes to all of those people? Um, <laughs> because I think it is so clearly we are responsible for our own growth and happiness and, you know, that all that inner stuff that we, we get to work on to build our own resilience, but also hope is contagious. Hope can be taught. So educators, mental health skills, trainers like myself, parents who recognize hope in their kids and 
want to help to cultivate it, teach them those things that they can use to, to grow their hope levels. Cause that's the thing too. You can grow your hope level organizations. I think our, our, our companies have a responsibility to the folks that work within our, within our companies to grow that hope within them, to help them to have opportunities, to feel valuable, to thrive and to feel like they're contributing in really valuable ways. And our, our partners, our friends, if you aren't feeling so hopeful today, go and find somebody who is and borrow from them because it is contagious. And so you can, you can use other people's hope to, to grow your own and then reciprocate that back when you're, when you're feeling particularly hopeful as well. And what strategies would you use to get through to the most negative person on the planet? The person that thinks that everything's against them. So that victim mentality, um, if you will, they get to choose. We all get to choose our behavior, right? We we get to choose our response to situations. And for sure, we're going to find ourselves in awful situations and we're going to find ourselves in great situations. But what we do with that, that's that's the part that's within our control. And so if you have encountered somebody who isn't feeling so hopeful and maybe are their depths of despair, you can't control them. You can't force them to do anything. I think you can model behavior out loud. I think you can offer suggestions. I think you can ask them what would be really helpful. But at the end of the day, they get to choose how they respond and what choices they're going to make in their life to get the help that they need or, or whatever that looks like. Um, but my best advice is always to just start small. And it can be like the smallest thing. You know, if you feel like you can't get out of bed in the morning, just start by wiggling your toes. And then once you wiggle your toes and you feel like, yeah, I can do that, you know, then knock your knees. And once you knock in your knees pretty soon, you'll be, you know, shimmy, shimmy shaking out of your bed and into your shower, whatever that <laughs> looks like for you. But, you know, start by wiggling your toes. It can be that small. It can be that small. And then eventually that momentum and confidence will build on each other. Fantastic. So where did you grow up and what do you call home now? I am a born and raised Calgarian. Calgary, Alberta, Canada, for your international uh, folks. And I live here now. I've been living other places, but I live here. It's awesome. My husband is from Saskatchewan, which is right next door. My parents are in BC. Mom's in Montana, and we're right in the middle, which is awesome because we're close enough, but nobody can drop by for coffee. (laughs) So you have time to be prepared. That's right. Exactly right. Yeah, and I I love it here. I um, feel Alberta in my soul, that's for sure. Cool. And so when you were growing up, what were some of your favorite things to do and why? Yeah, I am a lifelong learner. I remember very distinctly my grandma in the summer, one summertime, I was reading on her couch in the living room and she says, you need to be outside. Your sisters are out there. Go play with your sisters outside. And I just wanted to read my books. Like I am my first, my first job was at the library. I went to school for nine years. Like I am a reader. Um, that is that is my jam, and that's still my jam at 44 years old. So definitely reading has had a huge influence on my life. And I was active, like physically active growing up. I was a swimmer, a competitive swimmer. And then after university, kind of didn't do a whole heck of a lot. Um, and now I'm I'm eight years back into my latest fitness journey, so I'm feeling pretty good about that. But it's definitely physical activity has always been central to my life as well. Nice. And so you're a Calgary Flames fan, right? 
I am a Calgary Flames fan. So, so how how do you feel about the news that there's supposed to be a new arena that they're, they're supposed to be building? Obviously, we'll see if it happens, but that the talk is promising at this time. Yeah, and you know what's really cool, actually, about the whole idea of an event center or, you know, that whole revitalization that's going on downtown. I was in Nashville this past weekend, and they have done a really great job downtown centered around their arena, like where the National Predators play. And I think we could replicate that here with the Flames Event Center. I mean, we're we're rabid fans. We are prolific Flames fans. We, you know, we cheer for the Flames and anybody who plays the Oilers. And I think we could really leverage that to make a great downtown, whether or not you are a sports fan or you agree with you know, using public funds to build an arena. I think the idea of anchoring an event revitalization of our roll up the carpet at 6 PM downtown. I'm, I'm all for that. I think, I think if we do it well, we can really bring a lot of economic prosperity to the city. And people forget it's not just spots too, right? Like very thriving artistic community in central Alberta, Edmonton, Calgary, lots of music festivals and cultural yeah. events and stuff. So it goes beyond like sports. As much as I'm a sports fanatic, and I, I just love sports in general, but I think that there are other things that everybody can enjoy apart from just Calgary Flames hockey. Yeah. 100%. And it's going, to, yeah. it's going to bring opportunity to the city for jobs, for more, you know, like you say, arts and culture events. It's going to, the restaurants and, you know, entertainment options bringing people back downtown to live because they don't want to commute. You know, there's just, I think Nashville has done such a great job anchored. And I, I, I think we can replicate that. Um, and it's not, yeah, it's not about the sports actually. It's about the experience of being downtown. No, for sure. So who are some of the biggest influences in your life and what role have they played in your journey? Mm, great question. I would say my number one influence is my dad. I know that's a real cliche kind of answer, but the apple does not fall, fall far from the tree in this particular case. I've always been super close with him. He's the first person I call when I need stuff, need advice, need tears, need whatever. So, and so, yeah, he's, he's was and continues to be a really huge mentor and impact on my life. I'm really close to my family. I would also say... Martin Seligman is the scientist, is the researcher that founded the science of positive psychology and over the last five years has, has had a huge impact on my life. And so for him, you know, making positive psychology goal of his APA presidency back in the early, um, back in the 80s, 1980s, and the work that he's done to continue to talk about the fact that we don't just have to solve suffering that we get we actually get to solve for thriving as well i think it's had a huge impact on my life as well fabulous okay so on your linkedin page it says you went to school for business you switched to human resources and then you switched back to business why did you decide to make all of these switches and how do you think the changes have helped you in creating professional opportunities yeah. So I think my crooked journey has been the reason for the professional opportunities that I've had. So I started, I started in accounting and finance because my high school counselor said, you have a spare in your schedule. You're good at math. Why don't you try this? Okay. So I tried that. My brain works like that. I was good at it. And I thought, well, that's security. Let's go be an accountant for my career. 
And then as I got into it, I thought, heaven help me if somebody puts me in a back room with my visor and my calculator for my whole career, not happening. So I switched into HR because I like people. I, I value that thriving, like we talked about. But then I got into it in operational HR and I thought, heaven help me if I have to babysit adults for the rest of my career. <laughs> I mean, I was the HR manager for a for union folks who are really great and really awful in equal, you know, like in equal parts. And I thought, no, this is not for me. So my dad said, why don't you try entrepreneurship? And it fit me so good because now I know a little bit about a lot of things. Um, having a finance background as an entrepreneur, super helpful because often entrepreneurs are really great at doing the job, but are terrible business people. So I feel like that's been really beneficial. I've been an entrepreneur for 13 years and I will make a terrible employee. Nobody should ever hire me. <laughs> I'm a great consultant. I've been consulting for the same client for seven years, but I would make a terrible employee because I just, I, I, I love to take on a project and then take on the next project, you know, sort of work yourself out of a job. I'm multi-passionate. I have, you know, I have any number of things going on at the same time. And I do not love operational activities. I just, I want to build, transition and move on. And so I think definitely having the foundation in finance, the people side of things, but then settling into entrepreneur, I have an entrepreneurship degree has been the greatest path I could have gone on educationally. Awesome. And so one company that you founded is Wedding Recycle. So yep. that's a North America online classified marketplace in the bridal industry. Curious to know how you came up with this business idea. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, back in 2012, I got married in 2012 and planning our wedding, looking for centerpieces because, you know, you have 10 tables or whatever, and you need 10 fish bowls or you need 20 candle holders. And a, that gets expensive and B, you don't buy things in multiples, generally speaking. And then after your wedding is over, you have 10 fish bowls and 20 candle holders. And what on earth are you going to do with that? Well, the next bride is going to need that. And so I partnered with my best friend's husband, who is a web developer and said, here's my idea. He's great. Let's do this. And so we created an online marketplace for the bridal industry. It's like eBay or, you know, it, it has e-commerce. And so you're buying from another bride or another groom, you know, another couple, and you're sending your stuff across the country. You're using online processor to pay for it. And you're just, you're getting rid of your stuff that you used and, and yeah, it was, it, it really just filled a need. Yeah. Is it still going? Did it, have you moved on? It is. I sold it. I sold it uh, in October of 2020, but it is still very much operating mostly in the U S it's always been, uh, it got picked up in the U S early, early on, but still, yeah, still going strong. Cool. And so what were some of the skills that you've learned and developed during your time in this particular business? Definitely learned a lot about web development and web design and how important it is to hire smart people. Any entrepreneurs out there who think that they can do it their own, because of course you can use a web builder to, to do the thing. Don't do that. You're going to waste your time, your energy, and your money. Just find good people to do that work. That was like the number one lesson I learned from an entrepreneurship waste of money perspective and kind of 
along with that is the idea of you have skills. Like I have skills. I am really good at connecting with people. I am really good at idea generation. I am terrible at follow-up. So why would I spend my time and effort on follow-up when I can X my opportunity by doing the things I'm good at and pay the people to do the things they're good at? Because it's going to take me 10 times as long to do those things. I'll just pay the right people to do those things. And it feels, especially early entrepreneurship, feels like, well, I don't have that kind of money. But if you can focus there, you're like, you'll, you'll, you'll multiply, like it's exponential opportunity if you can get your mind around it, which so many entrepreneurs don't until they're 10, 12, 13 years in. Definitely those are the two biggest lessons I've learned about it. Also, we're going to take a little pause for a tea fact and then we're going to jump right back in. Today's tea fact is tea absorbs moisture and can therefore be used to store items. So for example, you can throw a tea bag into a bag of chips to keep them uh, crispy. That's going to help with reducing mold and that comes from leptontea.com. Cool. When I started this podcast, I didn't introduce the tea fact until a certain part way through the uh, the podcast episode, but it's amazing like what you can learn about any one subject through some basic Google searches. Very cool. Are you a tea drinker or, or do you sit on the dark side and the coffee? I am both <laughs> of the sides. I will have my coffee in the morning and my tea the whole rest of the day. Nice. So do, do you have a favorite tea? Speaking of Lipton, they have a peach something or other, like immunity booster tea with a little monk fruit sugar in there. Mmm, so good. Is tea something that you have randomly or is it very structural for you? I love tea, I drink it all the time, but there's some people that are like, I only drink it between 7 p.m. and 9 p.m. and all whatever, right, you know? Yeah, no, after, I start drinking my tea about 10 a.m., I would say, by the time I've had my coffee and my breakfast and whatever, and then I'll I'll have it all my work day. In the evenings, I don't usually, unless I'm cold, I will totally have tea after dinner if I'm cold, but I drink it during the day, during the work day. Nice. Okay, so you want to talk to us a little bit about your interest in personal development and how you were able to use this interest to connect to your own journey and that experience and concept of hope? Mm-hmm. So it started really early. One of my very first jobs was with a 20-person company and they took us on a leadership retreat and I was a lonely, lowly little accountant and they took me too. And um, I remember it was a facilitated couple of days and I was hanging out with the president of the company and everybody in between. And I just, and I just felt so included and so valued. And the insights that I learned from the facilitator over those two days were like mind blowing for my, you know, 20 year old person. And so that started there. Like I can still remember that retreat and how I felt and, and just how validating it was. And then my very first entrepreneurial journey was with a gentleman who was reading professional and personal development books, writing about them and sharing that knowledge with other people. And so I helped him build this company. He was the content guy and I was the rest of the things. And at that time, I did not love reading personal development books. Don't tell anyone. But I really got exposure to the ideas and the concepts in it. And because I'm a big reader, I kept trying and I kept learning and definitely, you know, came to love it 
after applying some of the things that I learned through, through that, through that company. And because it was my first entrepreneurial venture as well, it became super personal. And then when I found the science of hope that came from a very personal journey where it was the summer of 2018 and I suffered from total, complete overwhelm and burnout. And because lifelong learning is my jam, I wanted to find out how I got here, how I stopped getting here again, and what I can do about it. And so where do you start the self-help section of chapters? And so that's where I found the science of hope and has led me to the last five years and, and this career, I would say, um, the most aligned I've ever felt in any of my career, speaking about positive psychology, workplace mental health, the science of hope and all that. Interesting. And even in this conversation, you're bringing a lot of energy to it. And I really like that. So you definitely found both through, I guess, just your personality and also your personal experience. I think you found an, an amazing choice of career. Well, oh, thank you. Yeah. You know, anybody who asks me about hope, I will not stop talking. So it's a good thing you have a time limit on this, uh, on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Paradigm Corporate Wellness is a company that you own. So can you tell everyone a little bit about this particular company and kind of some of the services that you offer to your clients? Yeah, totally. So this is the business, like the corporate organization side of my business. If you think about expert in hope and positive psychology as the um, personal empowerment side, this is the workplace mental health side. This also comes from a very personal experience where during that time in, in, in 2018, in summer of 2018, I was working for two leaders and I went to the first leader and I said, this is what's happening for me. This is how I'm feeling. And they said, sorry to hear that. Get back to work. And I went to the other leader and I said, this is happening. This is going on. And they said, sorry to hear that. How can I help? What can I do? You know, what do you need? Clearly we all want leader number two's response. But in leader number one's defense, they haven't been taught this stuff, right? If you think about your, if you're, if you're working in an organization, think about your leaders generationally, they're probably Gen Xers or, or older millennials, right? Most senior leadership is in that kind of 40 to 60 year old bracket. We were taught to be managers by baby boomers. They were taught to not show up at work and talk about personal things. In fact, they were told to check it out the door and nobody has taught, has caught them up with the education. But the generations coming up behind us are saying, well, I want work-life integration. I'm not working weekends and evenings. Uh, and if I wanna go watch my kids uh, performance at school, I'm gonna do that. And then I'm gonna come back and do my job. We expect this kind of flexibility. And so the expectations on leaders and managers haven't been met with any training. There's a huge gap there. And so that's the gap I'm, that's the gap I'm filling, um, is teaching managers how to feel confident navigating these kinds of situations at work, closing that generational gap and teaching the language, the actual words to use in all kinds of situations, because often we have the right intentions. We want to help support our people. We, we see somebody suffering. We want to relieve that suffering, but more often than not, we won't say anything at all because we literally don't know what to say. And I know what a transformation it was in me to be, to have the words to express myself and seeing that transformation in leaders and teams and individuals is so powerful and so cool. And has mathematical evidence 
on the bottom line to support productivity, lower benefits reduction, more thriving, greater revenue generation. Like the math is clear to do this kind of work. Um, there's some stats out there right now that say for every dollar you invest in mental health skills training and other workplace mental health programming, you're going to get $2.60 back. Like a 260% return on investment? Who's not here for that? Exactly right. Yeah. So that's what I do. I'm a mental health skills trainer. All of those words to say I'm a mental health skills trainer. <laughs> what do you think makes your company kind of unique to maybe some of the competitors out there? Or I'm is the it, only or is it one. Yeah. So let me pull that back. So clearly there's lots of mental health consultants out there. There's lots of strategists. There's lots of trainers. There's lots of people doing really, really super great work. I'm the only one who has a certificate program to teach mental health skills. We partner with HR organizations, like associations, uh, certificate giving bodies, designation giving bodies. And they've told me that I'm the only one that has this kind of skills training for leaders and HR professionals. Um, and I think my focus on language and words and like, I give literal scripts that you can use if you don't feel like you know what to say. So it just, it helps with that confidence. Um, we do, we help with navigation around all the legal and ethical and moral considerations, because like I say, we want to do good, but sometimes we just don't know how, and we don't know how to do it within the have to do's, the nice to do's, the can't do's, the want to do's, all of that. So this training teaches how to navigate that and to feel confident doing it. And I don't know anybody else that's doing that work. That's my differentiator for sure. Awesome. All right. So mental health has been a theme of the conversation so far. So what are some different ways that you stay on top of your own mental health? You're, you're talking about it all day. You're helping others, but how do you take care of yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So my self-care looks like travel. I'm a huge travel. That was the number one thing that I missed during the pandemic is not being able to go and experience and do things. Um, so I do a lot of that. And I am, I am a triathlete. So people laugh when I say that because I don't actually do triathlons, but I am a runner. I'm a cyclist. And I told you already, I was a swimmer for my whole like childhoods. And so I, I do some sort of fitness every day and we have dogs. They are golden Aww. retrievers and they are amazing. And I've never been a dog person until we got our first one 12 years ago. And I can't imagine my life without them. And so every morning I get up and I, I get up at four in the morning because I need to sit on the couch with my coffee and my dogs and just be. So that is like, I will prioritize self-care, petting the dog with my coffee in the dark, oversleeping in the morning, because that is, it is that important to me to, uh, to get that recharge time, connection time um, as part of my own self-care. Interesting. So therefore, how many hours in, a night do you sleep? Between six and seven, because I go to bed at nine. Ah, there we go. Yeah, I go to bed ridiculously early. My light's out by 930 um, so that I can, so I feel that I can get up that, that early in the morning. And I, and I do my exercise, my, my fitness in the morning as well. And is that the same for you every day? Or is that like Monday to Friday, a little bit different on the weekends or, or is it continuously the same? It's, 
I, I try to stay within an hour, wake up and sleep time. I believe it's good for circadian rhythm. I believe it's good for my body and it feels good when I do it that way. You know, I might stretch until 10 on a weekend, on a weekday and get up at six on a Saturday, but I do like, I'm not a party animal. I don't, I, people know that about me that I like to be home to go to bed like a grandma and yeah, it's how I roll for sure. So if we're making dinner plans, we're eating at like 5 p.m., 5.30. Yeah, that, yeah that 6 at the latest because I need to be home by 9. So yeah, we call that senior supper, but I'm here for it. If it works for you and you're happy and you're enjoying yeah. your life, then kudos to you, right? So Yeah, well, and and my people know, my people recognize and they're they're good to accommodate that boundary for me. I mean, don't get me wrong. I will go to a concert. I will, you know, enjoy things outside of that, but I do like to stay, you know, I'm not fanatical about it, but I definitely like to stay within that structure. It feels good. It works. I feel healthy. I have energy. Um, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely important. Well, so, so where do you see paradigm corporate wellness in five years time? Mm -hmm. I would love to franchise this business. So I think there are a lot of organizations out there that need this kind of training and I can't be the one to do it all <laughs> because there's simply not enough time in the day. And so I'm looking to franchise it and find folks that are HR professionals, mental health professionals, anyone who has a passion for looking for thriving and helping make connections and organizations that are maybe in the corporate business want to do this thing, but don't know how to run a business. So I have business in a box uh, that you can just buy into business in a box and I will train you. I will teach you. I will give you all the content, all the sales and marketing support. And that's, yeah, that's the vision is for more of me out into the world, heaven help us all, but like more people doing this kind of training to make the biggest impact uh, that we can out there on, on, on folks, mental health and, and creating thriving environments at work. Cool. So obviously business isn't always rosy. So what's your, I guess, what's your current biggest business challenge right now? Capacity, 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 capacity. There are so many things I want to do and that are simply not getting done. And I feel super guilty about it all the time. It's one of the reasons I sold Wedding Recycle actually is because I ran it for eight years and it had so much potential and I couldn't take it to that next level. I couldn't find a way to focus on it. I couldn't find like, I, I, I wasn't making sacrifices that I needed to make to take it to that next level. And so it is, yeah, it's a, it's always capacity for me. It's always focused for me because I want to do all the things. Nice. So outside of the business thing, you also do public speaking and podcasting. So how do you use those particular outlets to help others? So I have two podcasts. One is called Hope Motivates Action, which you guessed it, based on positive psychology and the science of hope. The beautiful part about that podcast is all of the cool people I get to meet. It is very rare that I have a conversation with somebody and they tell me their story that I don't say, do you ever consider being on a podcast? Cause you could be a really great guest. And it's, <laughs> I just, I just love to hear people's story, especially when they share kind of how they came through stuff. And they're like, are regular people you'd meet in your life, in your work, in your community. They're not, you know, people who are 
transforming the world, the world. They are folks that are having experiences like you and I are, and the listeners hear them, maybe recognize themselves in these stories, take, uh, take some hope away. If, especially if the guest is, you know, five or so years down the same path, they can, the, the audience hears it and feels it and thinks, yeah, I can totally be that guy. I just need to do these things that maybe worked for them. So that, that podcast is like the most beautiful thing I could ever feel like I could put into the world because I just get to meet such really cool people. And then my other one's called mental health for leaders. And it is exactly what you think it is. It's talking to leaders and other mental health professionals, how to talk more in the workplace, how to navigate toxic, uh, toxic environments, how to support leaders to figure out how to do the things. I think that's been a real gap is we know we need to do it. We know we have a mental health crisis in the world right now, but we don't. And, and people just keep telling us we have to do these things and they don't actually tell us how to do them. And so that podcast is about the how it is people talking about how they've done it or how they can do it or how you can do it. Um, and so I think I'm, I, I believe I'm moving the needle, especially in the sphere of leaders. Cool. And then, so on the public speaking side, what are some topics that you speak on? Take a wild shot in the dark. Hope. <laughs> what? <laughs> My most popular talk is called from burnout to hope. It is a, it's a journey. It's a transformational journey of awesome where we, like we talk about what burnout is, how it's a, like a chemical response in your body, how it's not just having too much stress. It's an actual like tipping over point where, yeah. And then it, we, we do some self-assessments. We talk about what we can do about it. And then we lead out with the science of hope and we do this cool visualization experience. And I have had senior executives, grown women and men have transformational experiences in an hour. And it's so good. So good. If I do say so myself. Cool. So like, what's the biggest like audience that you've ever spoken in front of in terms of size? I'm a thousand. Nice. I'm the HR or um, HRPA, which is a HR organization in Ontario. They have a seasonal conference and I've been their MC four times. So, and they have a thousand plus people that come to those events. Um, and I've done the keynote there. And then I MC the four day event, three day event, three day event, four times. So it's been, yeah, it's been super good. Cool. So let's say you, you're on stage at 1.38 PM. So, you, so you're coming up to start your keynote presentation and there's a lot of chatter amongst the audience. They, they are looking everywhere, but at the stage, how do you get their attention? Well, I don't scream and yell. I don't, you know, start removing articles of clothing. I love when like events will play music um, to get us to get us started. I also have a really loud voice. So I will just start, you know, calling people out of the audience. Sometimes I'll put my hand up like we're in elementary school. Uh, hi, 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 I have a question. I have something to say, everybody, you know? And and that's kind of like the universal sign where people are like, oh, somebody has their hand up. They must want to say something. Um, so those are some of my techniques. Do you know what you're going to do or do you just feel the moment? That. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think very deeply. I go a lot on intuition and kind of see what works depending on what's going on with the audience. And the size matters as well. 
you know, because if it's in a smaller room, you can literally call people out or yeah, yeah. It's in a big room, you know, the hand works really well. Cool. So it sounds like a lot of people have heard you speak on a, obviously a few different topics. What's the best piece of feedback you ever got from somebody that came up to you after you got off stage? So I do a lot of workshops and I had a leader who we've been, so I have a, a subscription program where organizations will get a new topic, a new mental health related topic every month. And I'll do a 60 minute presentation at the beginning of the month. And then the leaders will continue that conversation with supplementary materials for the rest of the month. And I've got a particular client, a particular leader. We've been doing it for almost two and a half years. And about a year ago, this leader said to me, I had a, a, an analyst, somebody on my team who came to them to say how much that they value the consistency of these messages, the fact that the organization pays for them, gives them time to come to these events, that this person had been struggling in their life, knew they needed help, but didn't know what to say and used the things they learned in these sessions to go to their doctor and say, here's how I'm feeling because now they had the words to use to have that conversation. That was like the most powerful, impactful, I made a difference in the life of that human through my words was huge. That was the biggest compliment. And what truly keeps me going when entrepreneurship sucks, because it is the <laughs> best job and the worst job. Um, but moments like that and hearing feedback like that from the leader is what keeps me going sometimes. Awesome. So on your podcast, you've like you've already referenced, you've had a lot of amazing guests with their own stories to tell. Is there any one moment that stands out from the podcasting journey? Or is, there, is there something that you took away from a guest that you apply to your own life, for example? Yeah. So I've got 220 plus episodes. And so I'm going to forget most of them. But some of the ones that have really stuck out for me, I had a woman who came on the show to share her cancer journey. She had had cancer four times. Holy. And when she got diagnosed the fourth time, it was for throat cancer. And she said to me, you know, I could have gone into victimhood. I could have gone into why me, why is this happening to me? And she said, I decided to reframe that as why not me? And she turned that around and she created a lipstick company because throat cancer, she couldn't speak. And so she found that she was using lipstick colors, different lipstick colors to communicate with her doctors, with her family, with her friends, how she was feeling based on her lipstick color. And she figured if she was using that, maybe other folks in the same situation as her could communicate that in, in, in some way. And so she created this not-for-profit where all of the lipstick sales go back into cancer support, whether it's like for research and education, whether it's for patient support and outpatient treatment and whatever she was using it for, but she turned her cancer journey into support for other folks like her. That sticks with me very, very strongly. I have 220 plus episodes that I could talk about, but that one, that's always the one that sticks in my mind. And that was early. I think, I think her episode was, you know, season two. Uh, and I have eight seasons of that show. Do you still plan to release episodes on the Hope Motivates Action podcast? I've got them on hold right now. Oh, I, I, see, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Yeah. So the end of the end of 2022, I put them on hold. It, and it again comes back to a capacity from a capacity perspective. I was feeling burnt out. 
I was feeling like I wasn't, I didn't have the capacity to do with it what it deserved to have done with it. You know, these people were sharing their heartfelt, super private stories with me and I was hearing them and people were hearing them, but it wasn't do, it wasn't having the impact that I wanted it to make. And so I said, you know, we're going to pause on this. I'm going to reevaluate and figure out what I want to do with it. Um, and so I'm taking 2023 to do exactly that. Oh, okay. So, so we might see it come back in 2024. There is nothing that is off the table. Nice. So here's a good question. Seeing as you've done two, approximately 220 episodes, I must be on my episode 191 maybe by now. How did you celebrate episode 200 of your podcast? I don't, I didn't. I totally <laughs> didn't. No, I celebrated the very first episode of both of them because I feel like that was a lot, but you know, it, and it's again, what a part of the reason that I stopped doing it is because it was just, I wasn't getting that fulfillment. The The reason for doing it had become secondary to just getting it done, making sure to record, getting a, getting an episode published, doing a social media post, you know, it just became that as opposed to the thing that it was and should have been, which was the celebration of me, of the people on my store of stories and bringing hope into the world. Okay. So what advice would you give to somebody that doesn't know what they want to do for a career? Think of joyful moments, find, recognize, pay attention to joyful moments, and then find opportunities where you can do more of that. And then just keep tasting and tasting it and, and find that one thing. Well, I mean, then you probably have to talk to some people, maybe do a little Google research, um, find a model or a mentor that is doing that thing, you know, has experience in that area, and then try it. You're probably going to have to maybe humble yourself, especially if you're in a job that you're not into, but you feel like you've got those golden handcuffs because you're paid well, you, you know, you have lots of benefits and, and lots of great opportunities, but it's killing your soul instead of feeding your soul, um, you may have to like plan for that and be okay with taking a step back and making a little less money to do the thing in the long term that is going to really make for fulfilling life as opposed to the soul sucking existence you may be living in at the minute. Cool. All right. So t tell us something that our audience listening wouldn't know about you. Yeah. I can say the alphabet backwards faster than I can forwards. Do you, do you want to give it? Do you want to do it? Sure. Z Y X W V U T S R Q P O N M L K J I H G F E D C B A. Woo! I barely had time to think, and you were finished. Yeah. <laughs> I told you faster than I can forwards. How, how did you pick up that habit? My grandpa could do it. Um, and when he passed away, my little, you know, nine-year-old mind decided that I needed to carry on the legacy. And so I used to lay in bed practicing and like reading it backwards and forwards. And then I told you my first job was at the library. It came really handy as a, I was a bookshelver. It was called a page. And if I had an author that started with T, I could just start at Z and be really efficient and know that, you know, T and then S, right? Like instead of having to start at A and going all the way through the alphabet to find out that S and then T, you know? So it was a, it was a grandpa legacy thing, but then it became super efficient too. <laughs> I'm glad I asked. That's a, that's a great story that if I'd <laughs> asked that question, I would never know. 
Now, now it's just my, you know, ridiculous party trick. So here we are. Awesome. And so what's kind of next for you? What does the rest of the year look like? What does next year look like? What's going yeah, on? Yeah. So from a professional perspective, I've got lots of skills training certificate programs booked open enrollment. So if anybody listening is interested, let's talk about that. We'll get you in a, we'll get you in a program that's professionally. And then on the personal side, I have lots of travel planned. I'm going on a cycling vacation, a four day cycling trip here uh, next Thursday. I've got a run in June. I'm going to family reunions. I've yeah, I got lots of travel planned. As I say, it's kind of my jam. So yeah, very much looking forward to that. Awesome. As, as we come towards the end of the episode, where can people find you on social media? LinkedIn is the place, pretty much the only place I hang out. I'm the only, I'm one of two Lindsay Recknells on LinkedIn and I'm the Canadian one, not the one in Colorado. So I'm easy to find or expertinhope.com or paradigmcw.com, um, which I'm sure Mike will put into the show notes. I will indeed. All right, Lindsay, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's been such a pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me. It's been really great to get to know you. Yeah, and we'll keep chatting. Sounds good. All right, everyone. This was another great episode of the Tea with Mike show with Lindsay Recknell. If you enjoyed Lindsay's story, make sure you check out some of the other great stories from people all over the world at teawithmike.com and all of the major podcasting platforms, the Anchors, the Spotify's, the Google Breakers, Stitches, etc. Lindsay, thanks so much. It's the Tea with Mike show.